Welcome to this week's Fit for Purpose podcast. This week, in a sense, it's a slightly different podcast because we're talking to Anne Coyle, who's the Managing Director of South Warwickshire NHS Foundation Trust. And I think all of us have had the NHS uppermost in our, in our minds during the COVID pandemic. But, but behind that is a huge organisation that has a key role to play on levelling up. And that's the work that we're doing with Anne and her foundation trust. We'll get into it um, slightly, but Anne, welcome to the, the, the podcast. And you know, perhaps first question is just tell us a little bit about what your role involves as the MD. And obviously you're part of a foundation group. So just that relationship with the other foundation trusts um, that, that you are next door to. Thank you very much. It's, it's, it's great to be here and to be part of the podcast this afternoon. Um, I work at South Warwickshire Foundation Trust as a managing director. I've been in this role um, for two years, uh, coincided uh, with the with the pandemic. Um, my role here is 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 really working to on the day to day operational, so the performance of the organisation, uh, the governance of the organisation um, in terms of our structures and our business, um, and also our work on leadership staff, health and well-being, and our uh, strategy and the implementation of the trust strategy. Um, so it's a very varied and, and, and diverse um, role. Um, and we here in South Warwickshire are part of a foundation group. Um, other trusts in our foundation group are George Elliott in Warwickshire North, so the north of Warwickshire and Wye Valley in Hereford. Um, we share the same chief executive, Ben Burley, and the same and the same chair, uh, Russell Hardy. Um, and yeah, it's been it's been really interesting uh, to be part and parcel of the work around the Leveling Up agenda. And tell us a little bit about the communities as well. Obviously, you know, it's it's maybe a part of the world that people have some sense of of it, but give us a sense of the main the main conurbations, you know, how rural it is, and maybe some of the health challenges as well that you're dealing with as a, as, as a trust. Yeah. So we, as, a, as an organisation, um, we serve a half a million people in Warwickshire. Um, our hospital, Warwick Hospital, is, 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 on, is in South Warwickshire. Um, and... We also have community services for the whole of Warwickshire. So community services are things such as district nursing, um, community hospitals, uh, work with hospices, um, and a very rich and diverse um, set of services that very often will deliver care within people's homes or within clinics and are very much um, aligned and associated with both GP practices and mm -hmm. social care colleagues. Mm -hmm. The communities that we serve all also include uh, children's services in Coventry and in Solihull, um, our public health services there for not children um, not to 19 years. The communities that we serve are very diverse um, and a, a real mix of rural and our urban conurbations around Warwick, um, Stratford, um, Nuneaton and rugby. Um, 
the life expectancy uh, for men and the healthy life expectancy is very different. The average for the life expectancy for men is 79 and the average healthy life expectancy is 64. That reduces in our deprived areas to 74 for deprived um, life expectancy and healthy life expectancy within deprived is 55 years. So it's a real, a real mix of, of need across our populations. And, and we were very minded to this a couple of years ago um, on, on, on our populations and understanding the need um, and, and subsequently went on with Warwickshire County Council to appoint a public health consultant. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the one of a small number of, of organizations, NHS organizations to do so. And that gave us, has given us a much better understanding of the need through the joint strategic needs assessment that have been conducted by Warwickshire County Council of the populations that we serve and this range of and this range of that sits across um, that sits across the population of Warwickshire. And I guess one of your challenges, um, which actually mirrors that levelling up challenge, is is somehow succeeding in spite of the complexity and this sense that. If you look at your articulation that's on your website of integrated care for South Warwickshire, um, it's a it's a remarkable number of both partnerships, but also different health related services that are provided to the public and these different parts of the health service that are providing them. And as you've just said, and actually, you know, for South Warwickshire, quite a lot of them or a fair number of them are, are sort of under your under your roof in a way but how hard is it to to get to grips with that complex environment and still be able to work out how you put a successful strategy in place i think to to get to grips with the complex environment is understanding it in 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 the first instance Um, and managing this transition and the the NHS constitution and the work that we have done and the, um, the, the, the performance, the, the, the statutory performance um, set measures set out within the NHS constitution. Look at how well we do certain things. So look at how well we do uh, for our weights or look at our cancer performance and look at our um, RTT. You know, they're, they're quite blunt. Um, they're, they're, you know, great measures, but you know, they, they, yeah. they consider, um, you know, whether you've achieved something or you haven't. Um, as we move forward with um, collaboration and we move forward with population health and understanding the need, and that gives us, it, it, it introduces us to complexity really. Um, and so getting to grips with it, we start really from a position of, of wanting to understand it. Um, we're using tools such as health equity assessment tools um, in our business cases um, going forward. Um, and really you know, through, through our appointment of a public health consultant looking at our, and also our um, exposure to, to the data that around um, our communities gives us an understanding perhaps of how, how health services could and should um, be organized in the in, in the future. Our strategy as an organization has been very much around helping you to help yourself. Um, and also how we right-size our hospital services and how services can be delivered closer to home 
Um, and that's been a feature of the NHS long-term plan and, 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 and a number of policy documents. But what's really interesting now is the move for both prevention and health and equality policies that have been very much on the periphery, moving very much mm -hmm. to the centre. Mm -hmm. um, and so that will require us to improve our competence and our capacity as organisations to, to really succeed um, in, 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 in this area. Um, I've taken on the mantle as the board lead for health inequalities um, and, and, and we have done a lot of work as an organisation um, around inclusion and indeed one of our values that we're looking at as an organisation is potentially to, to consider inclusion as, 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 part, as part of those. So, so we get to grip with this complex environment through understanding it. And I would also add um, working with partners who have a better understanding and who have perhaps worked in a place-based approach for longer than perhaps NHS organisations such as mm -hmm. ourselves have, mm -hmm. so that we can quickly build up that capacity and, and that competence. And I think what's really interesting from a levelling up perspective is all the way through the work that we've been doing, Anne, we've been able to use this levelling up goals framework which basically breaks down these different components of levelling up and what you need to address if you're going to make sure it happens um, but actually it is very place-based inevitably and I think what we're also seeing over time is that almost these different anchor institutions whether they are an employer a big company whether they are an employer and a healthcare provider, i.e. the NHS, or whether they are a university um, or a county council, they all have almost a different piece of the jigsaw puzzle to bring to the, to bring to the table on levelling up. And I think the real skill is almost working out what your bit of it really looks like and almost what's the, what's the, the best ambition you can have on it, um, and then being able to marry it up with some of those other other jigsaw pieces that other players have have themselves developed developed locally and i i think that's the real prize here is is genuinely being able to nail down what locally driven leveling leveling up looks like but you know i mean we've known for some time not least through you know the marmot report and then yes. the update 10 years later that health and well-being and economic inequality but access to opportunity they go they're inextricably linked and I think yeah. you can have a debate on causality and all of that but I think the one thing we know is they do go hand in hand and so if you're going to shift one you almost certainly need to shift the other and that's why I think the the work that, that you're doing at South Warwickshire is so important because it is going to be about getting to grips to grips with that agenda and I mean, I guess it's probably a good chance to get into some of the things that, that you've been doing and looking at, you know, maybe starting with that steady development of, of the, the, the foundation itself and, and some of the work that you've got, for example, with Warwick Business School, looking at those, those innovations you're doing. Tell us a little bit about that relationship you've got. Yes, our relationship with Warwick Business School is quite new. Um, it starts to really, I suppose for us, understanding the assets and, and that's a really interesting um, analogy around the jigsaw pieces. 
Um, we, have a, we have a need for strong, uh, business-minded, um, operationally able leaders, mm -hmm. um, both clinical and um, managerial um, leaders within our organization. Um, how do we attract and how do we develop um, people locally into, mm -hmm. into these roles within healthcare? Mm -hmm. And so this is an opportunity really for us with Warwick Business School to apply best evidence um, to ensure that the approaches that we're taking um, fit um, and can be evaluated so that we're constantly learning and we're a learning organization as we move into um, the world of leveling up, as we move into population health, as we move into mm -hmm. place, um, that how we're doing that and our approach to that does take account of you know, the jigsaw pieces, the evidence, what's been delivered elsewhere, where we might be able to, um, to, 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 to share our best practice and to share that with other organizations so that we can continually learn and improve on this really key agenda. And, and I guess that, sorry, go on Anne. No, 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 just the leveling up framework is just such a useful tool um, that, captures those measures on which you can capture your baseline and then look to improve and I see us with Warwick Business School um, over over the months and years ahead really using that as, as a framework to capture our, our improvement journey. And I think it's obviously great to hear but also I think as we get a more common approach with that framework and there'll be other parts of the country where you'll be able to compare what they've done on the very same issues and we can really start to then bring together that that collective learning um, which I think is how you're actually going to fix leveling up you know my sense was always that a lot of the answers are out there um, and it's about how you in a structured way find them and also those very different actors on the ground that are having an impact and start allowing them to sort of come together quite naturally. And I, I sort of, I always felt you could do that through having much more of a, a common framework that allowed people to, to find, to find one another. But one of the things I really did want to ask you about, Anne, is, is the digital divide, because had we been talking, I don't know, maybe even five or six years ago, I think it would have been a different conversation in a sense um, for the NHS. But if COVID has really underlined one thing, it's, it's just how important that divide is, not just for education, but also for health and accessing health as well. Um, I guess as much as anything on mental health, for example, um, and support. So tell us a little bit about that digital divide work that you're doing but also in the context almost of how you see healthcare delivery steadily changing over time. Yes, we've absolutely seen a significant increase in the digitalization of, of, of health. I think COVID has been the best sort of um, chief technology officer that we've, we've ever had. Um, we've seen outpatient consultations move online. Um, we have seen a real increase in our um, remote monitoring, mm -hmm. and that has really supported care delivery by our community nurses, particularly into care homes and residential homes, 
well, for very good reason, you know, due to the infection control measures, we, we, we worked very much alongside care homes um, with remote monitoring to ensure that people were, were safe and well without the need for a physical, a physical attendance and increasing footfall, um, which, which was not particularly desirable at this, at this time. So we have seen you know, this, this significant increase with our patients, but also with our staff, um, more of our staff working from home um, and, and really adapting a very hybrid, um, hy hybrid working practice. The digital divide is, is, is interesting because um, we're working to ensure that as we roll um, these, you know, it, Excepting at the beginning of the pandemic, it was very much the, the doing um, and, and getting things up and running. But as that has settled, um, making sure that we're not taking away um, measures and mechanisms for people who do access our services. So ensuring that those face-to-face -face appointments are available if, if, if people should to, to choose to do that. So choice is very important mm -hmm. um, and working with people um, so that we don't exacerbate um, the digital the digital divide um, and looking to purchase these units particularly within care homes so that the units are purchased and, 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 and available to those homes um, so so what you so you mean you're actually making sure they've got you know the hardware yeah. That yes. they need and, and those devices so they don't get cut off just because they, yes. for example, find it harder to phone or, or come in person to get access to care. Yeah, and, and supporting carers and so on. We've done we've done some work particularly with dementia mm -hmm. um, patients in Warwickshire North, um, which has had a really positive impact on reducing um, both GP attendance and attendance at AA. So so and I guess probably also improving in some cases quality of care because just of being able to give much more immediate support for people yeah. who've needed it, perhaps um, who are carers in that case, who wouldn't have ever been able to get that maybe in the past. Absolutely, and providing that reassurance and assurance um, to to people. So, so there's positives and there are risks, and and we're working very hard to mitigate and to ensure that don't create a digital divide. We introduced a patient portal um, quite recently. And again, making sure that we assess and understand um, patient experience and people's experience of this um, and acting on the feedback that we receive and ensuring that we continue to provide those options for people to access our services um, in the traditional way um, should, they, should, 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 should they wish to do so. And as part of this, not just making sure there's the hardware, but as ever, making sure people have got the skills that they need to be able to actually feel comfortable using it. Yes, yes. And, um, and, and quite interesting, our, our survey around the patient portal, um, you know, that, that, that they're reasonably straightforward to use and its user usability was, was very positive. So it is, it is collecting and actively seeking out that feedback so we can continually learn and improve um, on, on user experience um, of, of, of these services as they really now bed in because the genie's out of that bottle. Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to see us do more of this and not less. And, and the digital um, agenda, particularly around wearables, remote monitoring, and so mm -hmm. on, 
um, has really moved moved forward um, really, really, um, really, really quickly. So that gives us an opportunity to start to imagine future healthcare um, service provision. Um, and, and how do we move from a health service that's truly a wellness service? Mm -hmm. um, how we signpost, um, how hospital services could be uh, more readily available in communities, um, that partnership with primary care and partnership with community, with community, um, community teams and social care teams. So I'd like to see a health care of the future that's less about organisations Mm -hmm. and more about people and outcomes for people. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that would be my ambition um, for, for, for healthcare. And healthcare where our access perhaps is, 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 is deliberately targeted towards those where we know we do have um, issues around access, poorer outcomes, um, so that we can work collectively to address that. And it's a really interesting point you make around the economic and how that then goes hand in hand. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we talk in South Warwickshire place around additionality. Um, mm -hmm. So it is understanding what each partner can contribute mm -hmm. um, and how we collectively make this improvement for our population. So those would be my ambitions around a much more integrated, population orientated health service. And I think it starts to get you into that wider leveling up and the ecosystem debate that, that we've really found ourselves in because there's so many different organizations that we've been working with on the leveling up goals and what's interesting is for some of your health challenges probably for some people one of the solutions is them being able to be in sustainable work that works for them and actually around that will come a a package of care as well of course but fundamentally actually that's maybe at the core of what their life needs to change to look like for them to be able to improve their health outcomes as well. Yeah completely um, we've done a really interesting piece of work with um, Citizens Advice in South Warwickshire um, really around benefits people who are on our community nursing caseload um, we have we have funded um, citizens advice um, so they've got the capacity to receive referrals from our community nurses um, and I was just looking at the data earlier and of 129 clients that were referred they had an income gain of 185,000. One of our hypotheses that we're testing and, and, and looking at is that the impact of that on, on health needs and health usage. Mm. Um, so as many people were entitled to um, all we have supported uh, people with is providing that, that skill uh, from Citizens Advice in, in, in supporting them. Um, it's really fascinating and um, because, so if you, you know, if you then take this, this agenda that you've really, you know, focused on and talked about around preventative health, you know, what it also says is, you know, that there's a sort of wider preventative agenda so for example one of the things that, that I've, I've really been struck by is can we work for example with some of the utilities companies we're working with yes for them to be able to have stronger partnerships on making sure you're not tipped into crisis because suddenly your water's about to get cut off or you need to be on broadband because that's how you've accessed some of your vital services and all of a sudden 
you're offline, you don't know why, but and the, the broadband provider has certainly not got any sense of you as a vulnerable customer. And I think it's almost having that wider perspective on how those things do come together for individuals ultimately, um, and then end up oft often coming out in terms of health challenges for people but actually they start yes, with something that's they, very different they do they? and that's a really it's 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 really interesting point um because i think as we get as we in the health service and in the nhs get more adapted to this and understanding and understanding those the services that people access on a day-to-day -day, um basis as, as as we do as as it, it's it's i suppose it's 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 how we connect um, with those broadband uh, providers, and and I think it's baby steps at the moment. But as as this work matures, um, you can definitely definitely see that uh, progressing. Particularly as a lot of our healthcare will be, you know, the intention is around the digitalisation of healthcare, and mm. um, that will be a really key and important partner going forward. I think you can start to see maybe how you know the NHS in the place that South Warwickshire will be getting on with what you're doing but you know maybe in that case it's as much a challenge for the utility companies to find a way of working True. more collaboratively themselves in order to be able to almost remove that as a as a barrier to to people being able to to sort of not have their have their well-being if I mean well this is why all this stuff matters because actually you you can it almost feels sometimes like you, you've got a pair of glasses on where the lenses are getting ever so slightly sharper, yeah. you know, over time. And I think that's where we're, we're all going with this work. But of course, you know, what I did also want to talk about um, and hear from you about and um, was inside the NHS and the diversity and equality agenda that, that is so important for the organisation. Fundamentally, it's these, I mean, it, doesn't quite go without saying but this hugely important public service that we all rely on and I guess there's a question about how it can be representative of that public and of those communities those very diverse communities that you talked about you know your own NHS representing and you know that starts with with the, I guess the NHS as an employer so tell us a little bit about how you approach that diversity and inclusion agenda what it means you know for your trust and and how you've gone about on the ground as it were practically trying to make sure that the trust is an inclusive employer that's diverse yeah that's a really good point and reflected the communities that we serve and so we were very fortunate um last year to participate in a building leadership for inclusion um which is an inclusive leadership development for our for, for our board of directors um we sourced that through the nhs um, leadership academy and and that really um, opened us up to um, the materials, the resources, um, the facilitation for us as a board over a period of um, six months during the year to really have mm -hmm. dedicated time together. We also inv invited and had as part of that um, the voices of our employees um, who, who, who were involved with chairing our network, so our BAME network, disability and LGBTQ network. So it, it, it gave us a really, really focused um, time together to understand inclusion, 
to mm -hmm. understand our, ourselves, uh, our experiences, to understand each other, um, and to really and to really get to grips with this really um, key agenda. Um, and it led us into exploring um, exploring a number of, of, of different um, different points. You know, for example, and some of them are really, really simple and small, but ensuring that our equality impact assessments are completed when policies are developed, ensuring mm -hmm. that um, we have um, health equity assessment tools, that we consider that the overlapping dimensions of health inequalities as part of our as part of our business cases or our investment decisions going forward. Um, it, we, we made connections um, with the wider networks um, and, and organizations within the NHS, the NHS E and I, who were leading on this, mm -hmm. uh, particularly around the development and the maturity of our, of our staff, our staff networks going forward. So we were phenomenally um, grateful to have participated. It feels, it feels that we're at the start of our journey rather than even though rather than the end of it. Um, and it, it, it has sort of enabled us to, as, as we refresh our trust values, um, to consider and to, um, to have inclusion as, as part of our trust values going forward. And does the, you know, I guess the, the issue of role models and making sure that people can hear from that really diverse organisation that you've got, is that part of how you'll start to get that that greater sense of inclusion put in place and and as you said you know taking those next steps to move that forward yeah absolutely um the diversity on our board um how that represents those are very much our, our equality diversity and inclusion um, and understanding how we're currently performing in our current mm -hmm. baselines and and then understanding um and I suppose because we as a board have taken time to understand this, um, really having much more informed discussions, debates, and, and, and setting a more challenging agenda and a yeah. and, and, and a roadmap for ourselves on, on, on this. Um, so is so you giving this sense it's almost, you know, made you more confident as a management leadership team that you can collectively think yeah let's make, we can go go further with this now yes absolutely we can go further with this um, and having different conversations and and and, and being able to lean into some of these conversations mm, yeah um that then enable us to to, to take collective action mm. um, and working very much with our networks on this working very much with our staff on this actively yeah. listening to the feedback that we receive um, one of the, and I'm very grateful um, to Nagina, she provides me with uh, reverse mentoring. Um, so, 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 so it's taking time to, to spend time with different, with lots of different people within different parts mm -hmm. of our organisation to understand their perspectives. So it's been a gift really, and we're very grateful for it. We've been one of three organisations in the country uh, to have had the opportunity to participate. Well, it sounds like it's um, been hugely worthwhile, and and certainly the 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 step on reverse mentoring, I think, is is really interesting because overwhelmingly, when we talk to businesses taking that approach, not only has it been great for the sort of employee, perhaps who's in a more junior role, to be able to do that, 
um, yeah, it's been hugely important for those more senior leaders to, you know, perhaps get a different feedback loop um, from a wider organisation that that maybe you don't quite necessarily get through a forum. And, and I think also, as you say, a lot of this in terms of success is just about understanding the issues better. And yeah. we've all just lived our lives. And so de facto, actually being able to get connected up with people with a different perspective um, and really get under the skin of, of a very different experience, you know, that others might have had. That's absolutely key, isn't it, for people who are in leadership positions to be able to get a sense of how to take steps that are smart ones. Absolutely. And, and have that responsibility for continuing mm. to educate, uh, to be aware, and, um, and, and develop competence and capability within this really, really important subject. And once you've got that competence and capability to act, mm. um, and to act with purpose um, on, 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 on that, and also set, um, you setting objectives and setting ambition, um, we had a trust objective um, last year to continue to develop and implement the support for staff health and well-being and, and ensuring that staff health and well-being for all our staff who are in frontline clinical roles um, and, and, and those in support services. So it's, 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 it's the organisation will only benefit from those different perspectives and giving people permission to feed that back and ensuring we as board of directors actively listen to the feedback that we receive. I think it's really, um, I think it's really important. And, and, and the reason why is things have changed so much from almost when I was maybe taking my first steps in my career. And yet you, you get to that stage where you're making the decisions and yet yes. you're making it for a wider organization that's, that's, that's kind of making its career and developing itself in a really different yeah. world. And so what reverse mentoring can help you do is really cut through that and still get that perspective from people right now about how they see things and experience things. And then what you as a leader can then take a decision on, on doing, um, which is why I think it's, it's just hugely sensible on so many different, so many different levels. But Anne, I need to ask you about your career, talking about yeah. early careers and all that. You know, I mean, I, I think there are, I, when I was growing up in school, the only people I knew who used to know what they were going to do when they were growing up were either people who wanted to be doctors or vets. And I can honestly say I found them really annoying because I didn't have a clue what yes. I wanted to do. And, and I went to university and I still didn't really have a clue what I wanted to do. Um, but steadily worked it out for myself over time. Um, but but and what's your journey been? You know, were you planning to work in the NHS? How how did you sort of end up going down that route for your career? Oh my goodness, yes. Yeah. So so I can absolutely identify with that, uh, Justine. And I, I I really didn't didn't know. I, I grew up. I'm, I'm from Ireland. I I grew up in um, on the border actually. Mm -hmm. um, and so I trained in Ireland as a physiotherapist. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do when I left school at 17. So I trained and I actually worked in the States for a little while. But um, um, before, I'm just going to take you back. So, so you were obviously interested in healthcare and, and all of that. Yes. Right the age. Is that fair to say? Yeah, well, my mother was a nurse. And, and I think I probably was, and I also did athletics, did a lot of sport. Okay, yeah. 
Um, and so that drew me into the world of physiotherapy. Yeah, can totally and, see uh, that. And, and, and training as a physiotherapist. Mm. And, and I thought well, that's a good place to start. And we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll see what we'll see where that goes. Mm. Um, so I trained in, in, in Dublin mm-hmm. um, and did that for four years. Um, and really, really loved it. Um, and a real opportunity as, as part of that to work, you know, to, do, to do my placements in Dublin and in different parts of Ireland. Um, and then I worked in Ireland a little, for a short while after, um, after qualifying. Um, and then had an opportunity to uh, work in the States as a physical mm-hmm. therapist, which I've done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a really, and when I look back on it now, um, it introduced me to the world of um, of of health insurance. Yeah. So I spent quite a lot of my time there, um, having conversations with different health insurances who would agree a certain amount of physiotherapy or physical therapy based on the plan that the yeah. individual had. So, so I, I spent, felt like we spent a lot of time advocating on behalf of others um, yeah. in terms of in, in terms of the services that they we you know as a physiotherapist or a physical therapist yeah. that um, we'd identified as them needing. So that was a different, um, a, a, you know, very different um, health system to work to work within. And also um, came across, um, it was patient-focused care, I remember at the time it was called, and um, but, but, but really it was about feedback and um, patient feedback and and capturing that, and um, and that it was something I hadn't 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 really encountered in my in my in my career to mm-hmm. date. Mm-hmm. I came um, after I left the states to work in the in the NHS. It was at the time of um, fund holding, mm-hmm. um, and continued to work as a as as, as a physiotherapist um, in different parts of in different parts of the country, initially in Hampshire before coming to Birmingham. And then it's very often is the case when you're strong clinically, you end up then people thinking, well, you could you can now manage, you know, um, which yeah. horrified me at certain point because I you know I trained, I developed my confidence as a as a physiotherapist, and now I've been asked to um, to lead um, and to manage uh, physiotherapy. But that triggered, I, I suppose, um, my second career, if you like, um, yeah. in leadership and management roles within the NHS. Um, and so sort of fast forwarding to 2013 um, when I came to um, South Warwickshire. And this has been a great organization, I have to say, um, to be part of. Um, it's been very forward um, thinking. It has, um, and, and, and I think it, it, it sort of kind of hooks into my um, interest in people and um, mm-hmm. working with people, and then also being able to, um, to 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 progress really a strategy of doing things differently. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, we're a very strong organisation financially, um, and our CQC rating is outstanding. Um, so we've had we've had the headroom, I think, as an organisation and as individuals and, and managers and executives within that uh, to continue to drive for improvements and to drive for. You know, to be continuously um, learning, and I've done that in my own life and my own career, and so it's, mm-hmm. it's you know, I'm very fortunate that I have an opportunity to do it in 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 this in this role. So you don't get bored and you don't stagnate, and um, and, and and that's that's 
that's you know a, re a bonus from, from my perspective. I think what's really really interesting. So for anyone, for people listening to this, remember what Anne said right at the beginning of that answer, which was, "This seemed like a good place to start." And <laughs> <laughs> um, what it tells you often about our careers is that you don't have it all mapped up. In fact, most people don't have it all mapped up at all. I certainly didn't. But sometimes just working out your next step is actually all you need to do. And as ever, you know, what I guess you found, Dan, is one thing led to another. Um, yes. As opportunities came up, crucially, Absolutely. you thought, I'll give that a go. Yes. And you then really learned from them, really got the most out of those experiences and thought, hmm, how can I take this back into my next thing I'm going to do? And and actually, it is often careers are one one thing leading to another, and you know it's that layer on layer of experience, isn't it, that means you can then do you know a great job in the one you're in now. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. It is taking those opportunities. Um, it's been curious, and it's not limiting yourself um, and continuing to push um, yourself because you. you very often that momentum very often begets momentum so you can end up in positions and situations but like I am today um but I didn't I I, I you know that are, that are great and um and, and fulfilling and what more can you ask from your career really and making making a massive difference and exactly. if you if you had one piece of advice that you were going to give to little Anne back there in Ireland oh my gosh. Um, looking now I mean obviously you're right in the middle of your career but but sort of already knowing what you know what do you think it would be oh that's a really good um question I think to I think that curiosity to continue to be curious um, mm -hmm. and to explore um and confidence actually mm -hmm. and sometimes we limit ourselves because we think actually I'm not sure I could do that um, mm -hmm. and just, just, just to say to little Alan, just, just don't let that into your thinking. Um, um, start from a positive, a positive frame rather than why I shouldn't be able to do something. Like, should I be able to do something? Brilliant. I think that's a fantastic place on which to finish. Um, great advice as well. And, and, and it's been great having you on the podcast. Um, it's been a slightly longer one than normal, but that's because it's just so interesting. Um, so thank you very, very much for the time you spent talking to me. Um, you've been a brilliant guest. Thanks a lot. My pleasure. Thank you very much.